Hey everyone, just a quick message before this interview starts. I'm really sorry, but the video and audio quality of certain parts in this interview are really bad. When we recorded this, I experienced some technical challenges that resulted in a degraded uh, video and audio stream. I am so sorry for this. I really hope it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of the interview. It really is a good interview. I actually considered not uploading it at all because it was that bad. But um, my guest on this interview was such a nice person and has such a compelling story, I couldn't not upload it. So I made the decision to upload it regardless. I thank you so much for your understanding in this. I hope it doesn't um, spoil your enjoyment of the interview. Thankfully, all of the technical difficulties were on my side. So my guests audio and video feed are at the, at the usual standard. So I hope that mitigates the, the poor quality somewhat. Um, thanks again for your understanding. I hope you like it. Hey, Jexiteers. Thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm joined by Christine Scott, who is affectionately known as Apostogram. After having doubts for many years, Christine started waking up in 2018 after learning about the Australian Royal Commission and eventually left the religion altogether in February of 2019. So, Christine, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Riley. Nice to meet you with you. Yeah, it's good to see you in person. Uh, we've been speaking over email for quite some time now. Um, I remember you left a comment on one of my videos and it was just such a nice heartfelt comment. I, I just had to reach out to you. I couldn't not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just felt for you because the joy on your face, um, you know, with your birthday issue, with your, at your birthday, mm. I thought that was just so amazing. And I could relate to that because I had just, well, a year before, just cel celebrated my 21st. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> At the age of 80. Yeah. <laughs> well, belated happy birthday to you. <laughs> so uh, please tell us a bit about the doubts that you had over many years while being a Jehovah's Witness. Yes, um, basically, I, I just got fed up with listening and being told what um, you had to believe and what you could do and you couldn't do, the beards and the white socks and all stupid things that used to great, great me. And I thought, this is man. This is man's rules. This is not God telling, telling people that they can't have a beard and they can't wear white socks. I mean, this is was ridiculous. And I used to get so angry, but I thought, no. It's just, that's just men, don't worry about it. It'll all get sorted. And like the faithful JW, Jehovah will put it right. So I kept on going along like that. But then I kept seeing scriptures that were being twisted and they weren't fitting. And that disturbed me more. And, you know, just irritated me and I, as the time went by instead of getting upbuilt by going to the meetings I was getting stressed 
and and that was no you know I wasn't happy about that at one point I had to walk out the hall because of the stupidity of the, the what was going on at the watchtower study because everybody's sitting there reading the paragraph and looking for an answer in the paragraph not they're thinking about it and it just was so ridiculous that I just had to get up and walk out I just couldn't take it anymore <laughs> and then it started getting worse and all the things that I was learning you know about the um the ARC, as I mentioned, and that just, well, that was just disgraceful. I just couldn't stand that. It was disgusting. And to see Jeffrey Jackson sit there and say that it would be presumptuous to say that they were God's spokesman on earth, when they clearly do think that, and they do say that. And I watched one of the... Um, the videos, you know, monthly ones, what they're called. Um, the um, the broadcast, yeah. the monthly broadcasts. Yeah, the broadcast. And a friend who was a friend at the time, bless her, she don't talk to me now, but um, she said to me, have you seen this video this month? I said, no, I haven't. So I was at her house and while she was doing a, a meal, cooking a meal, she put it on for me to watch. And it was Geralt Loesch. No, sorry, that one wasn't. That was Gary Bro. When he was on the spiel that he was talking about. But at the end of it, he said, we will never change the two witness rule. I don't know if you remember that one. I think that was about November 17. I do remember that one. Yeah, I've seen that. I remember that when he was going on about what apostates were saying and at the end of it, he didn't explain why or what it was actually about, but he then said, we will never change the two witness rule. And she pointed that out to me, but she's still there. She still is in. But I thought, oh, no, this is, you know, this is no good. <laughs> And it just went on like that, really. Then I saw another one with Geralt Loesch saying, with his hand gestures, oh, who do we trust? Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember that one well. Uh, in whom do we trust? Well, we must trust the faithful slave. Jehovah trusts them. Jesus trusts them. So we must trust them. I thought, must we? If you tell the truth, we must, but we would. But you don't tell the truth. By this time, I was fully, um, you know, awake, really. And I thought, no, that's just an, another nail in your coffin. <laughs> and mm. it just went on. It just went on and on like that. And I thought, no, enough's enough. Can't yeah. do it. The Australian Royal Commission is responsible for waking up a lot of witnesses. Lots and lots, absolutely. Yeah, it started, my son was um, first woken up with that and he was telling me about it, which um, I wasn't happy to hear at all and tried to make excuses and saying, oh, that's probably exaggerated and all that. 
But when I started looking for myself, then, you know, I realised that the only people exaggerating were the witnesses trying to, you know, get away from telling the truth. So yeah. could you tell us um, a bit about how did you become a witness in the first place? Right. Okay. Well, that goes back a long way. I was, I was young. I was, I was married when I was 17. So I was a young mum. I had, I, I think I was either pregnant or I just had my second son and I was 20. Because I got married at 17, had my first son five days before I was 18. And then I had the second one when I was 20, getting on 21. He was born in the January and I would have been 21 in the April. So I was coming home from work. I used to go to work and I was coming home from work and I used to stop off at a farm. We lived in a caravan right down a country road. And I used to stop off at this farm to get vegetables, eggs and whatever. And this lady, Mary, who ran the farm, she said to me, oh, she said, I've had people around today telling me about a new world. And I said, new world? Oh, what's all that about? So she said, oh, it's all in the Bible. So I said, is it? She said, yes. I said, well, I want to know about that. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> so... She said, well, when they come round again, I'll tell them to come and see you. Well, they would never have found me because I lived in a caravan in the corner of a field. Nobody else around. So they wouldn't have normally found me. But I was so lucky that she told me about them. And they actually did come find me. So that's how it started. I had a Bible study. And very, very quickly, I was, I was absolutely excited about what I was learning and thought it was really wonderful oh this is this is what I need you know and I just progressed as they say very very quickly and got baptized in 1960. Wow so how long between uh, your first bible study and you getting baptized? Well it couldn't have been much more than six months because I think my my second son was was born in January, and I got baptized in the July convention. Wow, that's very very quick. Yeah, yeah, it was quick because I was over the moon. I was just so excited and thought, "This is it. This is it. This is wonderful." Had a lot of opposition. It wasn't easy. Mm. Had a lot of opposition, both from my husband and my dad, my uncles. One funny little story I'll tell you, Riley, is one day I used to have migraines a lot at that time for years, but we didn't have a kingdom hall in the place. I lived in Boreham Wood in Hertfordshire and there was no um, kingdom hall, but they, they hired the scouts hall at the time and that's where I had my wedding reception. <laughs> so then I find out I was going there to the meetings. But one one particular Sunday, I had a migraine and I couldn't go. So but I learned later that my dad had organised two of his brothers, two of my uncles, 
to come and drag me out of the hall. But of course, I wasn't there. So I was a bit of a letdown for them. But it was it was funny for me after I got over my migraine. I thought it was hilarious. But, you know, that's how it was in those days because it wasn't as well known then, really. And, you know, they thought I'd gone mad and they'd, I'd been taken over. So they were going to come and drag me out. Wow. <laughs> Oh, wow yeah that's a, that is, that's, that's a great story lots of funny stories like that yeah <laughs> tell us some more well my dad actually i suppose this isn't a funny story but my dad said to me that they are false prophets and that they twist scripture and of course i didn't believe any of that and i said to him well dad if you care about me then why don't you help me see where they twist scripture because he'd never brought me up to, to believe in the bible we'd never had that at home so i the only time i'd been i used to go to church as a child but not with my parents with my friend and her parents but when it got to the point of um, going to confirmation classes, because that's what she was doing, I went along, but it just didn't make any sense to me. I thought, oh, this is a load of old rubbish. So I stopped going, and I think I was about 12 then. So from that moment until I, you know, finally took up with the witnesses, I hadn't had any connection with them. Um, religion at all really and especially not at home so I was very surprised when my dad said that um you know that they're false prophets and they twist scriptures and I asked him to show me but he never did so obviously I just continued and got into all sorts of trouble for it from my husband um yeah, he was very very Anti. In fact, on the day that I got baptised, he, he warned me that um, if you go and do that, he said, you you won't be coming back here. I lived in a caravan, 21 foot long, 7 foot wide, with two children, no mod cons at all. And he said, you won't be allowed to come back here. But of course, I, I did go back. But... It wasn't very pleasant, let's put it that way. I won't dwell too much, but it, it wasn't mm -hmm. a very pleasant time. But I was very determined. I just thought, I've got the truth. I found the truth. And I was so determined to continue that I put up with all this um, drama at home. And at some stage... There was no elders in those days, Riley. I don't know if you know how you know when they started. It was just a congregation servant. Yeah, I think the elder arrangement came in 1965, if I'm if I remember right. Something rightly. like that, yeah. And but it wasn't at this, in 1960. And at one stage, the congregation servant, because I was having a lot of problems, didn't quite know what to help, how to help me, and what to say to do so he took me up to Bethel 
and we went to see somebody up at Bethel, up in London. And I thought this brother was going to say to me, don't you worry, my dear, you just go home, don't put up with all that, you just pack your bags and leave. Because that's what I was thinking of doing. But no, it didn't go like that. He said, you must go home and be a better wife. Mm. I thought, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best, you know, I didn't know how to be a better wife, to be honest because I was doing everything I should do. So from that moment on, Riley, the rest of my life, although I I did part with that husband eventually, but it was nothing to do with being in the truth because it came to a point where I wasn't able to get to meetings. We moved house. We moved to a house. And I wasn't able to get to meetings because they were quite a long way away. And he always restricted me. I wasn't allowed to take the children to the meetings. So he would always be home late from work. So I couldn't go. Mm. And things like that. Anyway, that went on. And it it made it difficult for me to get to meetings. So there was a period of time when I wasn't going. And during that time, things just fell apart and... I left anyway, eventually. But um, sadly, that that happened and that marriage fell apart and it caused a lot of upset for my children. And I regret that greatly, but, you know, can't turn the clock back. And so anyway, time went on. And then I'm, I met somebody else and we moved to another place, Boreham Wood in Hertfordshire, actually. No, was I was there already. We went to um, Basildon in Essex. Oh. Okay. Well, now, that was another, another um, peculiar... Because if I can backtrack a little bit, which is something I really wanted to tell you, was that when I was studying... You know the 1975 thing? Yeah. yeah. Right. I know that there was talks on the, the um, assemblies later about 1968, because I can remember that very clearly, staying alive till 75. I can remember that very clearly. But even in 1960, the girl that was studying with me... She said to me, well, it'll all be over by 1975. And I said, well, how do you know that? Oh, yes, it's work. We've, you know, it's all worked out. We'll definitely be over by 1975. So I said, well, and to me, that was quite a long way ahead. Mm. You know, at the age of 21, no. 15 years ahead was quite a long time. Yeah. And I said, well, if it doesn't happen in 1975, there won't be any Jehovah's Witnesses left, will there? Because they won't believe anymore. And she said, no, that's right. Well, here we are. Mm -hmm. And I know that she did, she did shake a lot at 1975 when it didn't happen. 
So what why I'm mentioning that is because during the time that I was out, you know, for reasons that I couldn't get to meetings, etc., met up with somebody else and um I then came in confronted with a knock on the door one other one day when I'd moved house and Two sisters were standing at the door and I knew immediately who they were. Yeah. And I hadn't seen anybody for quite some time. And I let them say all their little spiel, you know, because it used to be like two scriptures or three scriptures you had to get out in those days on the door. Okay. <laughs> and, and I said, well, actually, I am a witness. Oh, and they were so excited. They'd found a lost sheep, you know. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, I started having a study again and the husband that I had then acted in exactly the same way as the previous one had. Oh, no. Yeah. It was absolutely crazy. So that didn't go down too well. But because of this issue that I'd had in the early days and been to Bethel and been told that, you know, I'd got to be a, a good wife and I've got to be submissive and all the rest of it. That really tainted my future with all sorts of happenings. And I'm not going to go into too many of those because it's quite hurtful for my family. But that was in my mind all the time. I know I'd done things that wasn't just so. I wasn't perfect myself. But always I kept thinking, I've got to be responsible. I've got to be the one. I'm the Christian. I've got to keep doing the right thing. And then it will all, it will all be okay. But it, it doesn't always follow. It doesn't always follow. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, I've I've had elders say similar things to me. <laughs> the, the 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 default stance they always take is that the problem is always with you, whether it's not whether it is with you or not. Yeah, exactly. They always say that the problem is with you, but you but know, you, as, as you and I both know, that's that's not always the case. No, it doesn't always happen. But you you get you keep thinking this way because that's what you're indoctrinated to think. Yeah. So you keep doing that, even though you, at the back of your mind, you, you're not happy, you don't feel right with it, but you still do it. And that's how it went for a long, long time. So um, when you started studying again with those two sisters how, and your, your husband reacted badly, what, what happened after that? Did, did that continue for, for a while? Yes, it did continue for a while, but then um, well, he kind of accepted the fact that I was determined. That person was not a nice person mm. and caused an awful lot of harm to me and my family, really, along the way. Ultimately, I got divorced and that was about 30 years ago now mm. so i've been on my own for 30 years and have have been 
what you might call a faithful sister all in in all that time doing what I thought was you know the right thing mm. with your you know, in the organisation, defend it. I would have defended it. If anybody throughout those 30 years had... Well, I did have people in, without, in that time, actually. And I would like to tell you a little story that happened a couple of years ago. When I I got dis, disfellowshipped, but I wasn't actually told. And I did this this interview with uh, another friend who has since been disfellowshipped herself for putting out um, a video about 1914 that she she did herself mm -hmm. and against the uh, governing body, of course. So she has now since been disfellowshipped. But when, when she put out the video between me and her, the interview we did about the disfellowshipping, um, I had a response from a friend that I'd known who was in the same congregation as me 30-odd years ago. She, she'd seen this and heard it, and she said, oh, I think I know Christine. So she, we contacted each other, and we've now been in touch, which is lovely, because she walked away from the organisation 30-odd years ago. Wow. Now, yeah. Now, that's the funny thing, because at the time, I knew we were quite close, and I knew that she'd read Crisis of Conscience. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just a bad thing to do. <laughs> it was a really terrible thing to do. And I was so disappointed with her for doing that, you know, and she, she moved away anyway and we lost touch. But now we're in touch again and that's... I now have re read Crisis of Conscience for myself and it, it's just really weird that she read this 30 years ago or more now, 32 years ago, and I took all that time to catch up. <laughs> and at the time... I really thought, oh, no, I, you shouldn't do things like that. You shouldn't be reading this sort of stuff because I was just really there, you know. Mm -hmm. And anyway, that was that was as a result of, of, of me being disfellowshipped and, and doing this interview. But, um, yeah, so if you if you want me to go over a little bit of that, yeah, please, please came do. about. Mm -hmm. Well, because I'd been having the doubts and I'd watched the uh, some bits on the ARC and um, these videos that I mentioned earlier, the um, broadcasts. Yeah. Well, I just, no, I thought, no, I can't do this anymore. So that was, that would have been in... 18, early 18, uh, to 18, I stopped going. Then I, what happened was I stupidly thought I was doing the right thing by asking an elder to come visit me. This is in probably late 17, 
2017, I asked an elder to come round. Well, he came, the two, two of them came, as they do. And I said to them, look, I'm not happy with uh, some things that I've read and things in the watchtower, the scriptures don't, it's not, they don't fit. So they didn't see where I was coming from at all. Not at all. I can remember one incident. It was about. It was a watchtower about vowing, paying your vows to Jehovah. You would probably remember that one. Yeah, I do remember that one. And the theme scripture, you know, those always have a theme scripture, don't they? Yeah. Well, the theme scripture was when Jesus said, you must pay your vows. It is said, you must pay your vows to Jehovah. Okay, he did say that. But what they omitted to say or point out was the fact that he was referring back to it. You've heard it said in times past, you must pay your vow. But I say, he goes on to say, but I say, do not pay, do not make a vow. You must not make a vow on anything in the heavens or the earth or anything below. Just make your yes mean yes and your no mean no. So that whole watchtower study, to me, was null and void because it didn't, it didn't fit. And they twisted that scripture. They'd taken it totally out of context. Now that one... I pointed out to them, to the elders, that just that one at that moment. And I said, it does, it, there's twisted the scripture. They've taken it out of context. It does, that whole, that whole watchtower study was totally unnecessary. We didn't need to do that. So, you know, and they said, oh, I don't know what, don't know why you're getting upset about that. I said, well, because it's it's twisted. They couldn't see it. And then I mentioned the um, the Royal Commission and the child abuse situation. And one of them who had, I had a lot of respect for up until this time. I had a lot of respect for this brother. And he said, well, you know, we, we, we weren't, you know, you know, shouldn't be looking at things like that. And I said, but this is reality. This is the truth. It's not fake news. Because one of them said, oh, well, it could be fake news. And I said, no, and the the watchtower that I was pointing out to them that I queried about the article, on one of the couple of pages part next past, there was a picture of the governing body all sitting round a table. And I, I said to them about Jeffrey Jackson, when I asked them a question, actually, I said, what would you say if I asked you 
if the governing body, the faithful slave, are God's spokespeople on earth today. And the one that I had had a lot of respect for said immediately, well, yes. And I said, yes, that's what I thought you should, you would say. The other one said, is this a trick question? And I said, no, it's not a trick question. It's a straightforward question. Do, do you think that the, the faithful slave, the governing body, are God's spokespeople on the earth today? And he said, why are you asking that? And I said, because that question was asked to Jeffrey Jackson on the Australian Royal Commission. And his answer shocked me. And I told them what he said. It'd be presumptuous. So the one who thought it was a trick question said, oh, well, it could have been somebody else. It could have been fake that. It could have been some lookalike. They're just so deluded, aren't they? I thought, what? You... Pathetic, totally and utterly. And the other one said to me, well, what do you want us to do about it? Think about it for a start. Yeah, exactly. But um, anyway, it was just ridiculous. But prior to that, the, the one that had said to me about it being fake, possibly fake news, and I said to them, what do you do if someone comes to you with an accusation about child abuse in the congregation. What would you personally do? And they said, oh, the first thing we, we do is have to contact the legal department in the, you know, in, at Bethel. I said, why? Why? Why do you have to do that? Oh, to see what we need to do legally. I said, haven't you got any conscience of your own? Can't you think for yourself? If somebody comes with an accusation, whether you can prove it's right or not, surely that's not your responsibility. You, have, you can't do that. That's nothing to do with you. You should either report it yourself to the authorities or help that person to report it to the authorities. It's not for you to deal with. It's certainly not for the legal department of the organisation to deal with. It, but no, that's what you have to do first, they said. And I knew, I knew, you know, why. But I just thought, no, this has got to be pointed out to you. You've got to think about this. But they didn't. Well, if they have, I don't know about it because they kept come. They still kept coming back to me with um, the CO came round, uninvited, with another with the um, coordinator of the body of elders. So but they that, just turned up at your house one day. Oh yeah, just turned up, and in fact, I was in the middle of doing a load of cooking because one of our dear sisters, her husband had died and I'd helped her quite a little bit with taking her to the hospital and things like that. And I was doing quite a lot of cooking 
ready for the wake, you know, this funeral that day. And um, I still hadn't been to the meetings. I was, you know, for ages, but I was, you know, helping the sister. And they just came on. He just sort of walked in. Because uh, my door's over there in the sit comes straight, front door comes straight in my sitting room. And, and they just sort of come in. So, and he didn't even say a greeting. He didn't say, how are you? And he just said, I expect you know why we're here. Wow. So they just walked into your house without even greeting you? Yeah. Just... yeah. Not how are you? We haven't seen you for a while, so... You know, can we help or anything like that? Oh, no, no, no. And I said, look, I am extremely busy. And I said, I'm trying to get all this. Um, I had cakes in the oven that I was trying to, you know, get out. And I was, and they just sat themselves down. The coordinator didn't say a word. He just sat there. And I said, well, look, um, would you like a cup of, cup of tea or coffee? Because I am busy, but you're here now, so... Would you like a cup of tea or coffee? I made them a cup of tea. And he he read, he wanted me to read a scripture from, I think it was Proverbs, about um, the wise person examines everything, but the fool, you know, the, the discreet one, um, examines every word but the the i don't know which way around it is now because i haven't got my bible open but um it was like the foolish person or something like that accepts everything but the discreet person would examine every word now i knew what he was getting at he was thinking i'm believing everything i'm hearing but i twisted it around and pointed the finger back at him and I said, oh, yeah, that's an extremely good scripture. I didn't call him brother because I didn't have the respect at that time to call him brother. So I said, oh, yes, John, the overseer. I said, that is a very good scripture, actually. And I, oh, the inexperienced one, that's it, what it said. And I said, well, actually, I don't consider myself inexperienced. And that's exactly what I am doing. I am examining every word. Oh, if you'd have seen his face. If you'd have seen his face. He was not a happy bunny. And he didn't comment on that. But he brought up about the Australian Royal Commission himself. I didn't bring it up because I wanted to get on. I didn't want to be having this conversation. But he brought it up because he knew that I'd mentioned it and it had upset me. So he said, well, they even wanted us to have women in the judicial um, committee. I said, no, they didn't. No, they didn't say that at all. The judge, I don't know if you watched any of it yourself, Riley, but that yeah, judge, he was trying to get through... He was trying to get an answer from Jeffrey Jackson yeah. and he was evading all the time, wasn't he? He was totally yeah. evading answering him correctly. And he was trying to get through to 
that him that wouldn't it be a good idea to have women involved in the he did mention the word judicial but it wasn't in the same sense as what the organization has judicial committees in the process so that they can support a young woman particularly mm -hmm. you know during this process and but this CO said, oh, no, they wanted us to have um, women on the judicial committee. I said, no, they didn't. That wasn't what he was getting at at all. I said, but Jeffrey Jackson didn't even have the decency to answer him properly. Because I can remember that that point, um, he kept saying, you're not answering my question. And he wasn't. He was just evading it, going all around the yeah. house. And... Angus Stewart said to the judge, he, he said, you still haven't answered the question. And the judge said, forget it. He said, we're never going to get an answer out of him. I remember that bit specifically. You remember yeah. that bit? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the judge looking so fed up. He was. He was totally. so absolutely fed up, you know, and not just fed up, disgusted as well. Yeah. And anyway, and then this CO, quite out of the blue, because I hadn't brought anything up to him at all, said that we were, we were, we did join the United Nations as an NGO. And I thought, what have you brought that up for? I haven't brought that up. So he admitted that. But of course, it was only to get access to the library. <laughs> what a load of rubbish. Which is a stupid excuse. Isn't it just? It's a really stupid excuse because um, all of the information in that library was available from somewhere else. Absolutely. That, that you didn't have to be an NGO to be able to access. No. And, and no. even if that was the only place you could get access to that information, Witnesses have died for less. Absolutely. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. We've been taught right from the get-go that the United Nations are the, you know, the worst thing in the world. And, in mm -hmm. fact, I was watching, a, um, I was listening to a talk only last night from a video from Kim and Mikey put out, and it was a talk given by Nathan Knorr, in 1958, and it mentions the United Nations going down, he said, you know. Mm, mm -hmm. And they are, the <laughs> the apps, you know, so it was no excuse. But why he mentioned that to me, I do not know, but he did. And I thought, why are you mentioning that? So at any rate, that was that. They went. Oh, and he said to me, he said to me, because obviously when they're visiting, they do their special talk on the Sunday, don't they? Mm -hmm. So he said to me, as they were leaving, he said, it will take a great deal of humility on your part, he said, to come to the meeting on Sunday, but I would like you to. There's lots I, I'm going to be talking about that would be good for you to hear. So I thought... It will take a bit more than humility, mate, to get me there. <laughs> <laughs> but I 
didn't say that. I was very good. And I said, well, I'll, I'll do my best. So on that Sunday morning, I didn't wake up till late. But I thought, okay, I will phone the, um, the brother that came with him just to let him know that I'm not going to be there but I'm not ignoring you. I'm not ignoring that, you know, I'm trying to be humble here. I'm not ignoring you. So I rang him and said, oh, I said his name. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be there this morning. I've only just got up. But I tell you what I will do. I will listen in. Oh, that's good, Christine, he said. Thank you for letting me know. I said, okay. So I did listen in. I thought, well, yeah, I've said I will, I'll, I'll do it. Well, and you know what? Why he wanted me to be particularly humble and get there and listen to his talk? Why? Because he's, his main point in the talk was to say that when Jehovah brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them through a certain way to a... a a city over here like I'm I'm doing the actions and it was quite a long way he didn't want them to go through the land of the Philistines I'd, I'd read, I read it all up myself so I knew what he was talking about and then he took them from there way back over here to the point of crossing the Red Sea okay and he said it was miracle. It was wonderful because this point was the lowest point in the Red Sea. And all right, okay, all those facts, interesting. But he said, "Well, if Jehovah can do a U-turn, so can we." Did that make any sense to you? Wow! No. Wow. Well, when I read the, the uh, uh, you know, the account in the Bible for myself again, it was not a U-turn. You know, if the story is to be believed, let's say, Jehovah took them to that city via a certain route for a reason, because he didn't want them going through the land of the Philistines because there would have been warfare. He didn't want them to get caught up in warfare along the way. So, okay, so I'm saying this, if we're to believe the stories in the Bible, there was a reason why he took them that route and then took them to that lowest point so that they could do the crossing. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like, oh, I think I've done it wrong. I better send them up that way. It was deliberate. Exactly, and that's such a that's such a really really bad. Can do a U turn, so can we. Well, if that's what he wanted me to be humble enough to listen to, it didn't work because <laughs> mm. it just aggravated me even more. <laughs> that, that's such a really really bad example, isn't you it? Know, because it, that's that's very very. I mean, adjusting your route based on circumstances is a very very different thing. From saying okay this is true and then later on no that wasn't true any that's not true anymore this is now true 
and then later on again say no that's not true what we said in the beginning that's true what we said later on that's not true you know well that's what they do all the time and that's another thing that Gerard Loesch in one of his broadcast statements said I think it was to do with the trust one as well to who do we trust I think he he sat there and done said that the the information the food the food comes from Jehovah through Jesus to the faithful slave. Now he said that. Absolutely. Yeah. But then, so then who are they blaming for giving them the wrong food? Exactly. Wrong stuff. Exactly. Whichever way you look at it, whether they accept the blame themselves or whether they blame Jehovah, either way, it's a broken system. And it's not one that is trustworthy, you know, to put your faith and your life in, you know. That's right. So all these things, you know, just built up and built up. And, I, and I, I'd already decided that I'd had enough anyway. I wasn't going to go back. And at the time, it was quite difficult because my, my son that sort of started me off looking at the ARC, he was definitely out. But... We're different characters, and he was angry, very angry. And sadly, at the time, and I'm sure you know how this this feels, his wife was very upset with him. You won't mind me saying this, they won't mind me saying this, because she was really, really upset because she was born in, and, um, you know, that's all she'd ever known. And she was very, very um, loyal and loved Jehovah and, and Jesus. And, you know, she, she really loved the, tr the truth, as we used to call it. So it was very upsetting. It was causing quite a, a bit of upset in the family. But then her sister, one of her fleshly sisters, who was a baby when uh, the parents came in, started to look at things and speak with her. And from then on, I'll just say very briefly that she is now, they're all out. They're all out. That's, and that's all, all the family that I had that were in are now out. And... You know, it's, oh, it's such a relief to know that there isn't that conflict mm. within the family because that I know that you've suffered that and it's a horrible, horrible thing to have to, yeah. to go through, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really, really pleased that your situation worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. And when they finally um, came round to, to me, the... Two, another two brothers well one was one that came round to see me before and brought another brother with him another elder and again just pushed their way in totally didn't phone me and say look we'd like to come round and see you just turned up on my doorstep again same scenario they pushed their way in I said oh I'm just going out oh well we're here now look like you know so came and sat themselves down. 
That is so arrogant and disrespectful. It's so rude and disrespectful. You can't just come to somebody's house and barge in like you're the police with a warrant. Yeah, I just, I open the door, but they, you know, because I have to walk with a walker because I had, I'm disabled actually. So I'm, I have to step back anyway to open the door because I've got my walker, but I've walked, then I have to open the door and come back. So he, I said, oh, I'm just going out, um, Tom. So <laughs> took no notice. Oh, well, we're just, we just need to talk to you a minute, you know. So come and sat down. I said, well, what's it all about? So he said, well, we have been asked and then opened his Bible. Just said those few words. We have been asked to open the Bible, uh, a verse that said, keep an eye on those who are causing divisions. I said, excuse me? Excuse me? I said, why are you saying that to me? Don't forget, Riley, I hadn't been to the meeting for a year or more. Exactly, that's what I'm trying to work out. How could you have been causing divisions if you're not even there to cause divisions? <laughs> I don't understand. No, could I? I really couldn't. There was two people that knew how I felt. And that was, they were two close friends. And the two, and the elders, of course, because I'd queried things with them. So I'm absolutely certain that it was just the, the, the elders and the CO had told them to keep an eye on me. And he, he then said, we've had people upset and disturbed. And I said, well, what's that got to do with me? I don't understand. I really don't understand why you are saying that to me. So, and I said, well, who are these people that I've upset and disturbed then? I said, tell me who they are and I will go and speak with them. I will do what Jesus told us to do. If you've got anything against your brother, to go and speak to him alone. I said, oh, um, I haven't got anything against any brothers at the hall or any sisters at the hall, but I'm willing to do that. I'm very unwilling to do that, to go and speak to them. And if I have inadvertently said something, which I couldn't think of, only these two particular friends of mine, I said, I will apologise to them for upsetting them. But they wouldn't tell me who anybody was. No, of course not. They wouldn't tell me that. So they said, well, we'd like you to come to a meeting. This was a Wednesday, and they said, I'd like, we'd like you to come to a judicial meeting on Saturday. Three days notice. No reason. I hadn't done anything wrong, but they'd give me no reason apart from that verse. So... I said, no, I'm sorry, I, I'm not prepared to come to a judicial meeting. I said, I can't do anything on Saturday anyway because I've got my granddaughter over from Dubai and she's coming to visit with me, which was absolutely true. I said, so no, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to do that. So they went. 
And when they'd gone, I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not playing this game. Mm. I'm not doing this. So I sat down and I wrote a letter. And it was a very, well, appealing to their better nature, if you understand. But very soon found out they didn't have a better nature to appeal to. I wrote this letter to say that I was very upset to the way that this had happened. These two elders, had, I wrote it to the body of elders and said that I was very upset that these two elders had come to my home uninvited and that they had invited me, quoted this scripture to me and invited me to a judicial meeting without any further explanation of what I was supposed to be accused of. Mm -hmm. And after me explaining to them that I wasn't prepared and couldn't do that because of family commitments, um, I said I asked them if there were people that uh, I'd, I'd upset, I would gladly talk to these ones, but I haven't heard. So I handed that, I took it to a, the elder and handed it to him before he went to the meeting on the Thursday. And I said, I hope that we can sort this out, John. And he said, well, I hope so. I said, well, if we both behave, if we all behave like Christians, then we should be able to, shouldn't we? I didn't hear any more. Didn't hear a thing. So, of course, the next thing I, next thing I did, which I had advice on, and I wasn't really au fait with it, to be honest, but I did it. I sent them a more legalistic type letter. Right. Quoting human rights, etc. Mm -hmm. That if they came to my home uninvited, I would take action against them. Okay? Now those words of uninvited are important to remember because what happened next was it must have been about two or three weeks later. I got a phone call from my son, who doesn't live anywhere near me. He lives 30-odd miles away, saying, you all right, Mum? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why? He said, well, we've just heard that you've been disfellowshipped. What? <laughs> yeah. Really? My grandson, bless his heart, he was 19 at the time, coming on 20. He got a call or text message from a friend who was in the congregation that I was attached to. It was a friend of his, very nice young man, and said, I'm really sorry to hear about your nan. And it sounded like I was dead or something. Mm. And my poor grandson didn't know, what do you mean? What, what, what about my nan? He said to him. And he said, well, she's been disfellowshipped. So, of course, my son then rang me. And I said, no, I haven't. No. Where would you get that from? 
told me where they got it from and it had been announced on that that Thursday night and this young man this young brother said it was announced on Thursday wow they didn't even have the courtesy to tell you that it was going to happen or you know the reason why nothing nothing at all and that is the absolute truth absolute truth and when I was so shocked and flabbergasted, I rang up um, one, an elder. It wasn't the other two that came to see me, but I rang this one because I had his number handy. Mm -hmm. And he said very curtly, it wasn't pleasant at all. He said, well, he said, you... You sent us that letter saying that we mustn't have any more contact with you at all. I said, excuse me. I said, but you better go back and read that letter again. I said, it did not say that at all. It said any uninvited visitations. Not any contact. Yeah, but, they, they love to play games with words. Mm. But I've got it in writing. I've still got the letters now to this day. And I said, no, that is not correct. Um, and I said, and surely, well, and then what I did, because I was really wound up by this time, I downloaded the Shepherd in the Flock of God book and I went through it in a fine tooth comb. And I looked at all the relevant paragraphs to do with disfellowshipping somebody mm -hmm. or the procedures, and they hadn't done it at all. They'd skipped, skipped over most of it because it said that the person must be notified of their offence. Well, they hadn't notified me of offence. All I'd had was that quotation from the Bible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with no exclamation about it at all. They didn't tell me anything. And then it said that um, they would have, if they couldn't make the first arrangement, then they would make another arrangement. Well, they never contacted me to make another arrangement. And then it says that if they, the elders feel that it's necessary to disfellowship the person, they would have seven days to appeal. Well, I didn't have that because they didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. So for goodness sake, there are all these points they just skipped over because it suited them too. They misquoted my letter. So they got another letter. They got another letter. It didn't do any good, but it, it just did yeah. good. I was relieved to be able to write it all down. Yeah. So I wrote down, you know, how um, disturbed I was at their behaviour and that the way they'd done things and they hadn't done according to their own book of rules. And, of course, that wouldn't have suited them very much, would it? No, because you're not, you're not even allowed to touch the book, let alone read it. And a sister at that. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so that didn't go down very well. So they then did another talk at the Kingdom Hall. 
which I learned from a, this dear sister that I'm still in touch with. Bless her heart, she said. And she, I'd been to visit her. That's the strangest thing. I'd been to visit this dear sister only a few days prior and to me getting this phone call from my son. And we'd had just a nice little chat and normal cup of tea together and how are you sort of thing. And a sister rang her to say, have you heard about Christine? Well, what about Christine? She said, oh, she's disfellowshipped. She said, no, of course she isn't. She was only here seeing me the other day. And she said, oh, she shouldn't have done that. And she said, well, she obviously didn't know because she would have told mm. me, oh, they wouldn't do that to her without telling her, she said. No, wouldn't they? <laughs> but they jolly well did, yeah. Wow. So that was that. So I wrote this other letter pointing out all their failings in procedure. And then they gave this other talk at the hall. They, don't, they didn't name me, but they said that don't listen to anybody that's been disfellowship. Don't talk to them. Now, I'm the only one that's been disfellowship there in quite a number of years. There hasn't been many there during the last few years in that congregation. Because they will tell you that the elders got it wrong. That was in the talk. So they're basically trying to cover up their mistake or, or their, their, their lack of following procedure. Yeah. So after that talk, this eld one of the elders who gave the talk came up to my little friend, my dear little friend, sister friend, and said, well, you know what that was about, don't you? And she said, well, um, uh, I suppose so. I suppose it was about Christine. He said, yes, it was. So he's, he's kind of threatening her because he knew oh. that she still had contact with me. <clears throat> That I wasn't, oh, yeah, they and they went round to see her. Then another two went round to see the other sister that I had been in touch with and told her that they, she, they, she mustn't talk to me. And she said quite categorically to them, I am going to talk to her. She's done nothing wrong. Mm. And they weren't happy about that, but they haven't done anything about that with her. But so... You know, those two sisters have continued to speak with me, but everybody else, obviously. Yeah. You know. So how have things been with you since then? Oh, fine. As far as um, as that goes, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy as anything, you know, to be away from it really and not have that hanging over me all the time to feel that I'm the guilty one. In, you know, if I, in my behaviour is not quite just so, it's just a big relief to not have that control. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it, ultimately, that's what it's all about. It's all about control. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so relieved what the rest of my family have seen it as well, you know, and they're all out. Yeah, that's what they seem to be doing these days. They'll just disfellowship somebody for questioning anything. 
That's right. Because the elders are not there to help you. The elders are there to, as a security system for the congregation. Yeah. That's, that's, their, that's their only function. It's <clears throat> not to help anybody. No. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm all... sure there, there, are, there are, you know, individual elders who do have good hearts and genuinely are in it to, to you know, to, to care for the congregation. I'm, I've encountered some myself. Yes. But, um, but the elder arrangement, true. that's not what it's for. The actual arrangement is not for that. No, it isn't. And the ones that do, I mean, the ones that have got the genuine heart are the ones that are coming away. Yeah. They are leaving. But what I call the um, company men, mm -hmm. you, you never get them to see. No. You will never get them to change because they are company men. Yeah. They just go along with the rules, even though they should be mature enough to know that, you know, as a Christian, we should be living by principles, not rules. That's for the Pharisees that did that, wasn't it? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really pleased that things have worked out really well for you and that you're, yeah, you, know, you have fine. your family. Yeah, absolutely fine. And uh, yeah, um, you know, and I'm I'm sad that I'm reached the age that you know I'm on the downward spiral. But nevertheless, it's still good to be alive and to to have that freedom of thought that I can think things through for myself. Yeah. Without having that guilt feeling. Exactly. Exactly. That that's a really really precious thing to have. It is. And that's what the organization tries to take away from you. They try to take away your, your thinking ability and, you know, your, your authentic self. Yeah. Yeah, you're constantly told not to lean on your own, own understanding. Understanding. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And I've said to everybody that, you know, who's asked me, because I've always had friends that weren't witnesses, which I'm lucky there, and they've been brilliant. Mm. They have been brilliant friends to me. And I always managed to keep friends that, because I always worked. I think that helped me yeah. through the years. I always went to work and I loved my work. I loved going to work. Um, so I did have other interests, you know. Mm -hmm. So that did help me a great deal. And the friends that I made were always good friends, even though I was a witness and they weren't. They respected me, I respected them. And they've continued to respect me. Whereas the friends that I had who were witnesses, where are they? Exactly. Where are they? They have no respect for me. No. They don't want to know the why I'm not there anymore. They've just been told I'm I'm a bad person. You know, and the you know, mustn't have any more contact with me. So mm. that's sad in some cases. I was hurt by a, a couple of people taking that attitude toward me, but basically I accepted it because I know that's what the way it goes. Mm. And I thought, well, I haven't really lost anything, have I? I don't think I've... I am not the loser because if, if you're genuine friends, you don't just cast them aside do you because they've they don't believe the same as you 
Exactly. That's that's something that has been a big realization to me is that all relationships in the organization are conditional. Absolutely. Yeah. I said that to this particular elder that I wrote handed the letter to. I said, Look, I said, I still care about all my brothers and sisters. I said, I still love them just the same as I've always done. I said, but I know that your love for me is conditional. Mm. I'm very aware of that. And he didn't comment on that. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this oh. morning. Well, thanks ever so much, Riley. It's been really lovely to have this opportunity to just, you know, chat with you and just tell you a bit about my story. And But it's it's all good. It's all yeah. good now. Yeah. I've, I've watched some of your other, you know, interviews that have not been so happy and I've felt for them. I've really felt for those ones because I feel I feel quite privileged to think that I have got a, a fantastic family, ones that were in and ones were out, because I never mentioned those to you, um, and they're all brilliant. And the thing, I'll tell you something, that I, I felt the need to apologise to some of them mm. that were, you know, that I'd been strict as a, you know, with them, bringing them up. Um, but I did allow them to work things out for themselves, but I was strict with their upbringing. Yeah. And some of them didn't take to it, and some did. So I apologise to the ones that, um, <clears throat> you know, never did become witnesses officially. Mm -hmm. And they have didn't held, held anything against me for it. That's brilliant. So I feel very privileged, really. That's great. Well, anyway, thanks again. I'm so happy that you're happy as well, Riley. I am, definitely, definitely. Well, thanks again for joining me. Oh, thanks Thank for you. having me, Riley. It's been, yep. I hope it hasn't been too boring for you. No, not at all, not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you, viewers, very much for watching as well. Uh, please like and subscribe to the channel for more videos. Please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next Thank one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.